I'm Gordon Bowles. I'm a local counselor. I teach adjunct at Beeson, and um, I'm a dad. I've got three girls, so we've had a lot of drama. They're, uh, the oldest is going to be 22 in September, the middle 20 in August, and our youngest is 17. So that gives you a little picture. Um, last, kind of what I'm trying to do is I'm orienting the three weeks around three characteristics. What I think is important in a family is the atmosphere, all right? You want the atmosphere to be something that lifts your child's countenance and they're able to attach to you and follow you. Last week I said you want the atmosphere to be more like Highland Bar and Grill and less like Sneaky Pete's, okay, if that gives you an illustration, okay? Um, and last week we talked about rest and what I really want parents to come back to again and again and again is that you're trying to get an assist. As parents you can do the best you know how but God does it perfectly. This week, if, if last week I kind of said, keep coming back to rest, keep surrendering to the Lord, keep trying to trust Him to be better than your children, this week we're going to talk about, you do have to do some things, all right? And we're going to talk about what that is, all right? If you got a handout, does anyone need a handout? Anyone else? You want to pass one back? Um, this week we're going to talk about discernment, all right? And... Um, I don't know what it was like for y'all when you brought your first child home. There's been two times in my life that I have felt incredibly small. The first time was I was a sophomore at the Merchant Marine Academy and I was on a ship that left Charleston was headed to South Africa. And when we got midway out to sea and there was ocean on about seven days every side, I felt incredibly small. And I thought, God, I'm really in your hands now. Not that I wasn't in your hands before. But y'all, if something happens at sea when you're that far out, even if you send out an emergency beacon, they're not finding you. I mean, it's a needle in a haystack. The second time I felt incredibly small was when we brought our daughter home from the hospital. And I looked at my wife and I was like, what do we do now? Okay? I have no idea what to do. And that fear bends you towards control, which is the opposite of discernment. I um, say this in your little handout. The responsibility of parenting easily bends a parent towards control, either active or passive control. But rest in the gospel helps parents to lead their children with discernment. I have a passage there from Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, the theme is it's vanity to try to figure out a way to life apart from God. You can Hard work can be your philosophy. Seeking pleasure can be your philosophy, getting involved in politics can be your philosophy. There's no way you can guarantee the type of life you want apart from trust in God. So the passage I have there makes sense. It says, in many words, which is active control. As a parent, you feel like, I really want to do good for our child. I care about that. I'm going to work, 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 work. That's active control. All right. Much dreaming is passive control. It's not within my control. I'll turn away from my children and I'll create a dream world and live there. Okay, so active control and passive control. In many words and in much dreaming, there is foolishness. Fear God instead. Okay, and fear God is not, God, I'm afraid of you. It's, God, you are so wonderful and so strong and so kind and you care about me. Like I can connect with you and walk with you and all that hugeness you will use on my behalf to help me bring forth good with my children. That's fearing God. Right? And so we have to have a level of rest and trust. So discernment, the way I'm kind of describing it, is you have to know God's Word, 
You have to know your child and you have to know culture. You have to hold these things in tension and treat, keep trying to shepherd your child forward. There's some people who really, really know the scriptures, but they've not been thoughtful about their child or thoughtful about the culture, and they all have a one-size-fits-all. There may be someone who really has a deep relationship with their child but doesn't think about God's Word and about culture. You have to hold all three and keep trying to direct your child forward, okay? So discernment really is, there's not a plan. I'm going to rest and trust God, and I'm going to try to move forward with my children, all right? So let's think, how does discernment help create a nourishing family environment? Know this, that if you actively control your children, it won't be a nourishing environment. If you turn away from your children and leave them alone, it won't be a nourishing environment. You have to both be really involved and really at rest to provide and give discernment, all right? So discerning parents see discipline is training, not punishment. If you turn to the back of your handout, there should be a thing that talks about biblical imperatives or, uh, yeah, biblical imperatives for parenting children. I was pretty liberal. I, took, I tried to find all the passages in the scriptures that talk directly about parenting. One of the re- reasons you need discernment is this is not a lot of information on how to raise your kids, okay? In fact, I often say this. There's only actually three imperatives in the New Testament, three things you're told not to do or to do as parents and children. One is children obey your parents. Then the other two are to fathers. They fi- say fathers don't exasperate your children or fathers don't make your children angry in the way you treat them. So I will summarize for you the New Testament advice on parenting. To children, it says, you got these two big people, they really care about you. They often won't look like it, but they really care about you. Follow them, listen to them, trust them. Then to dads, it says, you tend not to be thoughtful about your impact on children. Keep trying to be thoughtful about how you're impacting your children. And moms, it says, you are going to be way too anxious about parenting as it is, so we're not going to tell you to do anything. You just need to relax a little bit more, okay? That is your biblical advice on parenting in the New Testament. This is not a lot. This is why you need discernment. But I want you to move down to um, number two and three under the Old Testament. It says this, if you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. If you love your children, you will be prompt to discipline them. That's Proverbs 13.24 from the New Living Translation. And let me tell you, the New Living Translation is a context-sensitive translation. It tries to get the meaning. The next, I have the same verse out of the English Standard Version. That's a word-sensitive translation. It translates the words, okay? So let's look at English Standard Version. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. What I want you to notice in the New Living Translation... It doesn't say rod in the first part. It just says discipline. All right? In, this, in the ESV, it does use rod. So let's move down to number three. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but discipline will drive it away from him. And then it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. All right? In the first one, it doesn't translate rod as discipline. In the second one, it does. Now let's go to the third one. Or number four, sorry. Don't fail to correct your children. They won't die if you spank them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. It does say physical discipline. All right? It's definitely talking about spanking in this context. And then um, 
it, in the ASV, it does say rod. What I want you to see in those first two verses, in the context-sensitive translation, they don't translate rod as rod, they translate rod as discipline. However, in the third verse we looked at, they do. And I don't want to confuse you. Here's what I'm trying to get at. When I say discipline, what do most of you think? Give me an adjective. If I say discipline, what do you think? Punishment. Punishment. We often think pain. And a lot of times the evangelical philosophy for parenting is spanking, right? Because they're not going to spare the rod. But I think we really need a different metaphor because discipline doesn't mean hitting your children, all right? Discipline, the word much better would be training, okay? The rod was used to swap sheep on their butt, but it was a shepherd's staff that was used to protect the sheep. It was used to lead the sheep to green pastures, to water, to care for the sheep, to protect the sheep, and to swat the sheep. So I want you, instead of having a rod, I want you to have a coach's whistle. What it means is you're the coach and you're responsible to get those children trained to play the game. It doesn't mean you're supposed to whack them. Now, I played some football. I had a coach. He used that whistle sometimes to blow it so that we could get some water because it was hot out in August. Sometimes he blew it to teach us. Sometimes he blew it to encourage us. Sometimes he blew it to get us to do up-downs that were painful. Do you know usually when we did extra up-downs, they're like kind of burpees in today's language, all right? Is when we really weren't listening and he wanted to get our attention. That's when you use physical discipline or something painful. But you're disciplining your children honestly when you feed them because they're trusting you and they're attaching to you and they're seeing that you care about them, all right? So let's flip back. Got a definition for discipline. Discipline is not hurting your child after they've done something wrong. It is leading them away from self-reliance toward trust in someone bigger. Parents first and then the Lord. The result of children obeying. And obeying in our culture means to turn around and do what the person's saying. Obeying, I believe, biblically means listening and honoring and hearing. Okay? It may or may not mean doing. All right? The result of children obeying, listening to and letting parents guide and care for them is better behavior. You know, if you're just whacking your child, they're not going to attach to you. All right? If you're just being kind to your child and don't have any strength or leadership, they're not going to follow you. They need both. The goal is to drive out foolishness. All right? The goal of discipline is to drive out foolishness. Do you know what foolishness is, biblically? Trusting in yourself. Self-reliance. All right? So that's why I say... the. Discipline is not hurting your child, all right? It's attaching to them, caring for them, guiding them so that they learn to trust you and listen to you, and then they start following you. And just being owned by you and being impacted by you begins to help them want to do good if you're caring and you're strong at the same time. Does that make a little bit of sense? All right. So this is um, Brian Chapel from Holiness by Grace. He says this, Saying that discipline is not punitive does not mean it is without pain. The Bible does not anesthetize us to God's discipline, but keeps the pain from overwhelming us by promising that the purpose of God's discipline is never to impose penalty or to damage us. Nine times in this passage from Hebrews 12, the term for discipline refers to the correction or training of children. It includes not only reaction to wrong, but also preparation for future challenges and character de development. All right, let's turn the page. Partly because we got started a little bit late, I've got to decide how we want to 
do this. Um, I want to talk. I do want to talk about some ways to use your leadership as parents to undermine self-reliance. I want you to think your teaching, your training, your the pain that you may apply to your child. The whole goal is to undermine self-reliance so that they learn to look outside themselves and trust someone bigger and listen to someone bigger. You guys first, and then the Lord. So your goal in your leading and caring for your child is to undermine self-reliance. All right. So. Ways to help your child wake up to their self-reliance. I'll just say this about spanking. There's a lot of um, you know, debate about this in our culture. I would say this. I think you have to be free to spank your ch- children. I think the scriptures are clear. There is a place for spanking. If spanking is your mo- m- main mode of discipline, if you're spanking a lot, there's something wrong. Okay. If it's easy for you to spank, there's something wrong. All right. If it hurts for you to spank, if you feel like I'm doing something that seems to go against everything that I want, but I will still do it because God is leading me to be a leader with my children, God will always bring you back to what you worship. And if you think you don't worship your children, then I don't know who I'm talking to. Okay? And God will ask you, who do you love, him or your children? And will you lead them and will you provide some pain at points that's hard for you so that your children are reminded that the world doesn't revolve around them? Okay? I believe you have to be free to spank. I actually think growing the character to be free to spank actually makes spanking less an issue. If you're afraid to spank, if you're afraid to have strength with your children, if you care too much about always being close to them, then you're not being a leader in some of the ways you need to be. And then something like spanking or over-relying on physical pain will become more of an issue. Make sense how I'm saying it? Okay. So, what I would say, and this is my idea on spanking, if I was going to give some ground rules, is I, it starts with setting limits. You know, when you tap a child's hand, that's not spanking, okay? That's just setting limits. I'm talking about when the child's three, four, five, and it's more relational. I personally think it should ha- I don't think it should happen out in public. I think it should happen more intimately. We tried to have a, a place where we would go, where they would be spanked, okay? And I would say this, I wouldn't encourage you to try to explain to your child why you're going to spank them. First, I would encourage you to spank them if you feel led to do that. And you've talked, I, I would encourage you to talk with your spouse, actually, before you spank. All right? But if you're going to do that, you spank them because after you spank them, they're going to listen to what you're saying. Before you spank them, they're going to be worried about getting spanked. Okay? That's just a practical <laughs> application. All right? Um, so you spank them, then you talk to them about why. Don't try to help them think it was a really good idea that you spanked them. Don't ever try to talk them into that discipline should not hurt them and that it should have been a good idea. Our children, and this is my philosophy, never had to enjoy timeouts or anything that was difficult. They were not supposed to enjoy. I allowed them to lament. They confessed psalms all the way to the discipline area because as long as they're doing what we told them to do, they don't have to like it. All right? Um, And so we would often use spanking as a way more to get our child's attention, not if you do this, you're going to be spanked. All right? We would have other means to get their attention if overall they weren't listening to us. We would use spanking more to get their attention so our no's, our timeouts, taking away toys, whatever, would work. The other thing I would say is you have to become creative. I don't think spanking is too fruitful beyond the age of six, seven, eight, nine, somewhere depending on the child. What you've got to do is learn to pay attention to what gets their attention 
and use that as your spanking when they're not in a good place overall. If it was a, my child today, it would be car keys or cell phone, all right? Years ago, it was Webkins or American Girl dolls or like we kept being creative. But does that make sense? Sometimes applying some pain gets their attention and they start paying attention to you. And really, how you're undermining their self-reliance is you're helping them realize life doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around somebody bigger than you, not even me. And that's why I have some discernment and prayer going into how I parent you, because I'm not even the ultimate authority, all right? So that's one way. I would just say this, that saying no is actually a form of discipline. How many of you like to be, hurt, to be told no? Don't forget, a lot of times saying no is really a good thing. In our culture, I do think sometimes we bend over backwards a little too much for children in our culture, all right? And saying no is a way to simply get their attention. Don't minimize that. And I can remember when my daughters were much younger telling, telling them, okay, this, these were sentences I was learning. I'm not going to forget what I said. And I meant what I said. I'm not going to forget what I said and I meant what I said because they wanted to keep challenging that. And you kind of have to grow into when they're younger just gaining some strength to let them be disappointed with you. Okay? But even saying no, and I think, again, like, this is an illustration I'll use, if, if in the morning you wake up and it's like, what would you like to have for breakfast? And they're deciding every morning and you're going through extra steps to do the breakfast they want as opposed to it's waffles or granola cereal this morning. Out of that, what would you like? The more you're leading, the more you're guiding and have some strength and are comfortable saying no, again, the less pain and other things are important. Does that make sense? Okay. The other thing I have there is withholding pleasure. A child's false sense of entitlement or independence contributes to misbehavior. Because their fleshly nature, they will want to do what they want when they want it. Standing in the way of this through withholding pleasure helps them to reconsider their place in the world. I'll give you an example. You may have a child that acts out with some regularity, especially when you have to get something done like shop. Okay. And so you're at Publix, Walmart, Aldi, wherever it is that you shop, and they always act up and they keep asking for something. I would encourage you, because when you want to get your shopping done, you're just going to keep not dealing with them or trying to deal with them because what's more important is getting the shopping done. So I want you to go one day to do the trip, but not to buy anything. To simply say, no, today you're not getting what you want, and we're going home. And just withholding that pleasure can get their attention. All right? There's just a variety of ways that you can do that. I'm just trying to help you think. What you're doing, again, is undermining self-reliance. Their flesh is, I should have what I want, when I want it, it should be about me. Simply withholding pleasure is a form of uh, discipline in terms of the pain of discipline. Okay? Increasing responsibility. A subtle form of egotism is the thought that I'm above the law or I can get away with things that others cannot get away with. Oftentimes, this just leads to carelessness. A place you may run into this is the dinner table. Like, we, did not want our, we didn't want our girls to be little soldiers at the dinner table, but we did want them to learn how to pay attention to each other and have meaningful conversation as they get older. The dinner table is a place not to just totally be crazy. So as they were younger and wanting to be crazy, not having boundaries, like if they... I can remember one time my daughter spilled something. I forget what it was. And she was just about old enough to clean it up. And I had her clean it up. And it was painful for her to clean it up because she wasn't as ambidextrous. And I didn't like totally 
you know, make it all difficult. But it was difficult enough that it was an increase of responsibility that asked a little bit more of her that would help her maybe next time remember, I want to have a little more self-control. You know the things like not bringing their lunch if they forgot it, homework. There's just ways where we want to come through for them. And when we don't, when um, we increase this responsibility on them, they have to step into that. My oldest daughter, who had a bunch of money saved, our, our spending money for our daughter's college is on their shoulders. My daughter had a bunch of spending money at the start of the year. And then she decided to um, help a lot of her friends doing mission stuff. And she didn't have as much money after Christmas. And she's not been able to do as much this spring. I have helped her. There's been some grace. But I haven't totally replenished her bank account so that she could learn a little bit. All right? That's increasing responsibility as well. And then the last thing is, and actually natural consequences is similar. I've kind of talked about that. But you, I just want to give you some ideas of how you're undermining um, self-reliance. Let's move on. Um, I think the last thing parents do that are discerning is lead their child according to their bent. All right? Oftentimes, this proverb we have there, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. To most of us, that means teach them the doctrines of the faith. I think that really means get to know your child and the gospel and how the gospel will be applied to their life and teach them to walk in it. And as they walk in it, when they're older, they'll be able to do that. I'll give you a simple example. My firstborn is a typical firstborn. Uh, very responsible, very motivated, very disciplined, all those things, okay? And very hard on herself, all right? And I kept trying to teach her grace. She's naturally bent toward the law. And a lot of times she would tell me I was not hard enough on her. In fact, whenever I was trying to... Eat, this is She's three years old. She prays this prayer. Jesus, help Daddy to spank me. I want to obey. Okay? I'm, I'm a little bit softer as a dad. All right. She's also, I may talk about this in a sec, she's also a truth teller. But um, anyway, this is her junior year, finals week. It's midnight, and I go to say goodnight to her. She's studying. I said, sweetie, I'm going to bed. It's late. And she said, Dad, I could probably study another hour, and I'd definitely get an A, but I think I might get an A anyway. What do you think I should do? I said, I think you should go to bed. And you know what? She said, I think I will. It was the first time I can remember her agreeing with my encouragement to be easier on herself. All right? You all know that you have a certain bent and you tend to deal with the same thing your whole life. And so training up a child in the way you should go, we've been preaching grace to that daughter. Her senior year, instead of taking three honors courses, she took one. I was so happy that she didn't kill herself. But she's still learning. She's always over planning and overdoing and trying to embody grace for herself. I think that has more to do with training a child in the way he should go. All right? My second born needs a little more structure and law, not as much grace. Okay? When she was about two and a half, three, my wife and I were praying about her rebellion, and I kind of heard the Lord say to me, what you're calling rebellion is actually courage. And I began to describe it as courage sometimes. And I realized as she began to soften when I wasn't so hard on her that the only way for a three-year-old to tell his dad he's really uptight is to throw a fit on the floor. Because I'm a lot bigger than her and she doesn't know how to use her words. Okay? 
And that daughter who grew into her courage, on college day last year, when you wear your t-shirt on where you're going to college, she wore Harvard. She didn't go to Harvard. (laughs) (laughs) Because she decided she wanted to do missions. She didn't want to be like everybody else. I've watched that girl step into her courage. And, and honestly, I want to be like her when I grow up. She's so, comf- so much more comfortable with who she is. She's not so neurotic like her dad. But I think that's because we nurtured that courage. Now, and there were times when the crazy thing with her is my grace needed to be much wider and my truth needed to be much stronger with her. I just had to be a lot more on my toes with my second born than my first. All right? So, um, what I want you to think about training up a child in the way you should go is this is the part where you're discernment. You're trying to pay attention to your child and the Word and culture to lead them and guide them. Um, the passage I ha- another passage I have there is Romans 12. It says this, Be honest in the estimate of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body, and each of us has a different work to do. I want to read verses 6 through 8 too. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Guys, what I want to say is this, and I said this a little bit last week, that philosophy that you could do whatever you wanted to do if you worked hard enough, that's not the gospel. I believe we're created with a mission that only we can do. Are you prayerfully trying to discern who, not what is your child going to do, but who are they becoming? And what is about them that makes them unique? My youngest daughter is as kind as the day is long. Can I tell you, she does not care a whole lot about achievement. And she's not super motivated. And truthfully, in terms of the worldly gifts that you need to stand out in school to be a really good student or a really good athlete, she wasn't given those gifts. So a year or two ago, I looked at her and I said, sweetie, you know you're a really good student, right? It was hard for her to believe that in Homewood, if you don't take honors courses, Homewood is 44% minority. Okay, If you don't take honors courses, you're in very racially mixed class. My daughter had at least two or three classes where she was the only Caucasian person in that class. And none of her friends were in those classes. They were in all the honors courses. And when they got their 28s and 30s and 32s on their ACTs, what she felt was, Dad, they have no idea what a big deal that is. So when I looked at her and I said, sweetie, you know you're a much better student than all your friends, right? I said, you know that when you work hard and it's honored and it's applauded, it's not that hard to work hard. But when you come home every day, year in and year out, and work hard, and it's not applauded, that, my daughter, is working hard, okay? I didn't try to make her more than who she was. I tried to help her be who she was. But that's why you need discernment to begin paying attention to who your children are. And y'all, the scriptures are really clear. What helps us discern best is judging the log in our own eye. You know, we parent so much out of our own story and what we want for ourselves. It says this, that if you judge the log in your own eye, you will see more clearly to judge the splinter in your brother's eye. And then you know what verse comes next? 
You won't give your pearls to swine. That's all about discernment. Sin blinds us. Pride blinds us. Shame blinds us. If we're not doing the gospel, we're seeing our own sin and softening, you're not going to see your children. All right? That's why, as I was talking some last week, the marital relationship is so important because as you're uncovering each other's blind spots, you're gaining more sight to see your children. All right? But you've got to see like God sees, not the outward, but the heart. And so you've got to pay attention to some of the unique things about your children and affirm that. All right? My, uh, like my middle daughter, the one who I said I have to give a lot more grace and a lot more truth, I would say she's like my beauty enhancer. Okay? My first is a truth teller. She's the one who, uh, she even said this, she's the one who said, um, uh, Jesus helped Daddy spank me, I want to obey. Around that, about a year later, my wife and I were in a little bit of an argument. She said, Daddy, Mommy's not a child, don't talk to her like that. Okay? When she was 13, she said, Mom, I'm a teenager. You're supposed to be helping me, not making it worse. Okay? Last Thanksgiving, before she came home, we were talking on the phone, and she said, Dad, um, I'm learning some things about her family, and I'm just trying to stay positive. Okay? And I asked her what that was, and um, we had a dialogue about that. Okay? We've got 1050 is when we stop. Is that right? Okay. So, hopefully, I just... You've got to begin paying attention. Every child is so different. One size doesn't fit all. That's why that discernment, knowing your child, knowing the Scriptures, knowing the culture is so important. Okay? And the more you know them and really meet them where at, the more they're going to trust you and attach to you and really listen more so to what you have to say. Alright? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the parents in here. Um, you know how much they love their children, how much they want to bring forth good. Lord, I pray that something we've talked about today would be an encouragement to them and they would be able to feed on it. It would nourish them and give them life as parents and they would be a better picture of you to their children. Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.